The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. Welcome old friends and new ones who might be joining us for the first time at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. It is so wonderful to have you with us here as part of our worship service. I want to uh, introduce myself. I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of the congregation. And it is wonderful to be here with all of you, wherever you are, on this tail end of summer Sunday together. I want to thank everybody who is making today's worship possible. And of course, to start with Reiko Odelaine, who our organist, who brought us into worship with such power and beauty. To Mark Sumner, our music director, who helped curate the music this morning. To Asher Davidson, who is both going to be leading us in song, but also playing the clarinet. A lot of people actually are playing double roles today. Brielle Marina Nielsen bringing her gorgeous mezzo-soprano voice to our music program this morning. But also Jonathan Silk, who besides being the person behind the AV that makes worship possible, is going to be on drums again today. Woo! So we're grateful for everybody who is making our gorgeous music program possible. Also our camera person, Eric Shackelford and Shuli Ong helping us this morning. To Dennis Adams, who is our worship associate again this morning. To Joe Chapeau, who is on chat. So if you have questions or problems, technological or otherwise, just reach out to him in the chat as part of the live stream and he'll be able to help you. I want to thank Judy Payne for our gorgeous flowers, bringing life and summer's beauty into the sanctuary, to Tom Brookshire, who's going to be hosting our coffee hour after service, if you want to join. And I want to invite Junior to come down, Junior Leopaga, who is, as you'll see in a moment, the newest face, I want you to know, who is part of our staff, just joined, as our newest sexton. And so it's so great. You, you're um, Robert's cousin too, right? So we're keeping it all in the family. So Junior, if you just look to the camera, then people can see you. It's so great to have Junior with us. He's joining Thomas Brown today, helping us make the building ready for our gathering. So thank you. Welcome, Junior. It's great to have you. So I believe those are all my thanks to everyone who is making this Sunday possible. If you're here for the first time, I'd invite you to download the order of service. I love the image on today's order of service. It's another piece of the meditation on a larger theme today, which is about this notion of practical, but also spiritual focus and its power and place in our lives. And in that spirit, let me invite you, especially this morning, to turn off anything that would be distracting you, particularly the most obvious one in our lives these days are cell phones. Put it in quiet mode if you can, spiritual meditation mode, if you will, and put it far away so it's even out of your consciousness and invite yourselves to enter into this time together. We'll begin by lighting our blue candle, which we have lit some version of, and this is our second candle. Since the beginning of our pandemic times, and we light it, bringing all of you symbolically into this space together until we can all be here 
physically in community once again. Welcome. I invite us to sing together our first hymn of the morning about this time of deepening and listening. One of my favorites, hymn number 112 in your hymnal, also in your order of service, Do You Hear? Let's sing together. us even further into worship, we'll have our unison chalice lighting, the words of which are in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now our invitations and announcements. Hello, I am Dennis Adams, worship associate. If this is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link to our covenant, 
<laughs> connection form that is in the order of service and video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links for opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which takes place after the service. Please join in anything that interests you. Please note that next Sunday's meeting of BIPOC monthly gathering will happen before worship. Please join if you identify as black, indigenous, or a person of color. You'll see details in the order of service about who to contact to connect. Our offering today will go to the disaster relief funds being raised in support of the residents of Haiti after the devastating damage suffered by the earthquake this month. Monies will go through our UU service committee who is working already with the grassroots partners we know there and following their guidance and leads on what is needed from us. Finally, if you are the parent or guardian of a child that you would like to register for our children's or youth religious education programs, now is the time. There is hope that we can begin the program in person and are making our plans accordingly. Reach out to Allison Jacks, our associate minister, or look online for more details. We'd love to have your family as part of the year together. With that, let's center ourselves now in our worship by singing our meditation on breathing. The words are in your order of service. If you are new, we invite you to listen to our song leader and then join in as you feel comfortable. We'll sing it through a few times and let it lead us into worship. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, Now that we're centered, let's have our covenant and doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and freedom and to help one another.
Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives still held and those lives continuing to be lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the mounting trauma to children separated still from their families, those still held at length in less than transparent and humane circumstances. Those held without representation in this repeat of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia and racism and greed. We ring the gong seven times then for this week of days in which human dignity has been dismissed and for our responsibility for that as citizens of this country. We ring our gong additionally once for the ongoing losses to COVID-19. This last week, 68,552 people died from the virus globally, 7,214 of those in the United States. We hold in our hearts each of those lives and the circle of loved ones affected by the loss. And we hold with gratitude all who are working around the world to produce and distribute vaccines and all other efforts to promote greater health and survival and long-term immunity for humanity. Finally, we ring our gong once this week for the citizens of Afghanistan and for those with family and friends there. As this nation undergoes yet another upheaval, another time of uncertainty and of tragic losses. So much to remember and to hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can.
I invite us now to come more fully into our bodies. Feel your feet on the ground, your back, maybe the back of our legs against the furniture that holds us, gravity pulling us into relationship with the earth. Find a posture or position that feels comfortable, as comfortable as your body will allow. Maybe rest your hands on your legs. I invite you to cast your eyes downward if that's useful or close them or even just soften your focus. And set aside any worries or lists or obligations that you find dancing in your head. Maybe literally imagine yourself setting them aside. Tell them that you promised you'll be back in a half an hour or 40 minutes to take them dutifully up again. But ask if they could just sit aside for a little while to give you a rest. Maybe thank them. And let's breathe and train our breathing. Breathing in five counts, one, two, three, four, five. Breathing out, one, two, three, four, five. Breathing in, Breathing out. In. Out. Stay on the breath. If other thoughts come, just note them and Allow them to pass. Breathe in and out. and connecting to the deepest places inside as we breathe. Let us hold some silence together.
and now gently. I invite you back into our shared space and time. Open your eyes if they were closed or let them come back into focus. Come back. But anchored, I hope, a little more to what holds us all. Peace be with us.
Mr. Dennis Allen Adams. Uh-oh. When they say your full name, it usually means one thing. I look up at Mr. Beamsturfer, realizing that I've been caught napping in my ninth grade history class yet again, and admit I didn't hear the question. Mr. Adams, you need to get your sleep at home and not in my class. Yes, sir, I squeak out, my ears turning bright red. How embarrassing to be admonished in this way. I thought I'd been sly about my secret slumbers, but apparently not. My classmates' laughter didn't help. My daydream about organizing a protest at my school against the Vietnam War faded away. My best friend Jason and I were already planning to skip school the next day and go up to Penn State and take part in a war moratorium event. With so many heavy real-world events, more often than not, my school lessons seemed unimportant. I was reminded of the mock turtle and griffin explaining to Alice in Wonderland that the reason they are called lessons is that they lessen day to day. I didn't think Mr. Beamsturfer would appreciate Mr. Carroll's knowledge. Jason and I were focused and active in two different Peace Coalition groups, and our latest project was a huge paper mache mock Mark 48 torpedo, which we would fill with food for the hungry and march over to the ROTC Ordnance Research Lab at Penn State, where this weapon of war was being developed. That event went really well. No one got hurt. There was often an uneasy truce between our peace groups and those like the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, who advocated much more aggressive attacks on the university's buildings and staff. One major problem with my schooling was my knowledge that our history books were filled with BS and flat out lies. Long before coming to that realization, I'd learned that school was just not for me. I had way too active an imagination to be calm, quiet, and focused. It may have helped had I only been aware before the eighth grade that I needed glasses. What a revelation that was when I got my new eyes and could actually see the blackboard and make notes. Everything became so sharply defined I could finally focus, at least visually, if not internally. I had learned as early as six and a half years old that a life in the theater was the life for me. That's when I was put on stage in Anything Goes. It was a musical production set aboard an ocean liner, and I was actually encouraged to be a bratty kid in a socially unacceptable way. My big moment each night came when a ship's passenger pantomimed for me to take my wooden sword and poke another passenger who was asleep in a deck chair under a newspaper in his butt through the chair. Each night, I'd tiptoe up behind him and poke the chair under him, and this comedic character actor would explode up out of there and chase me yelling off stage. Talk about method acting. I mean, I knew it was coming every night, yet I still jumped every time and was scared to death as this lunatic chased me off stage. But then the most curious thing would happen. As we arrived backstage, this actor would drop the rage, ruffle my hair and say, good job, kid, and smile and walk away. I became aware of how important it was to focus on what you were doing, when and how, for one reality on stage, which was really make-believe, yet the second you got backstage, everything turned real again. Chatting quietly in the wings, the chorus girls would often buy me an ice cream cone and hold me on their laps. With such amazing mentors as these, it was easy for me to imagine a life in the theater and performing arts. That's how I learned to focus in my life. And now our offering this morning, which is to go support 
our fellow siblings in Haiti as the recovery efforts there take place around the devastating earthquake of this month, that offering will be both given and gratefully received. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, which is part of the text that has been historically part of the Hebrew scriptures and then also became part of the Christian scriptures. I remember first reading this passage and marking it because it reminded me of teachings from other religious traditions. It's this book, just to frame it for you, if you're not familiar with it, that's a book of wisdom credited to Solomon, and it's this passage that's written as an elder who is sharing their wisdom, their hard-won advice with a youth or a child. And it speaks in the framing of just how to hold wisdom, whatever wisdom you have in your life, 
this kind of deep attentiveness and focus it asks of us. So I thought I'd share these opening framing lines from Proverbs with us this morning. My child, listen to my words. Incline your ear to what I'm saying. Don't let them escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they will be life to those who find them and healing to your flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the spring of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk of others far from you. Let instead your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all, all will be sure. Here ends our reading. There's no heaven It's easy if you try No hell below us Above us only to 
In April this year, the New York Times ran an article. Its title was, There's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. In the article, Adam Grant wrote about this idea that in between these two poles in mental health, one being on the one end flourishing, this place of well-being marked by a strong sense of meaning and mattering, that at the other end has depression, a place most often marked by a sense of despondency or even feelings of worthlessness, that between these two there is a middle place. It's a place that isn't often named or even described. It's undiagnosed, he says, but widely prevalent. It's the place called languishing. Languishing, he writes, is the neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between flourishing and depression, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. Languishing dulls your motivation. It disrupts your ability to focus, and it triples the odds that you'll cut back on work. The term was coined by a sociologist, he goes on to say, named Corey Keyes, who was struck that many people who weren't depressed weren't thriving. His research suggests that people most likely to experience major depression and anxiety disorders in the next decade aren't the ones with those symptoms today. They're the people who are languishing right now. And new evidence from pandemic healthcare workers in Italy, Grant goes on to say, shows that those who were languishing in the spring of 2020 were three times more likely than their peers to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Part of the danger, he says, is that when you're languishing, you might not notice a dwindling of delight or dulling of drive. You don't catch yourself slipping slowly into solitude. You're indifferent to your indifference, he writes. When you can't see your own suffering, you don't seek help or even do much to help yourself. That description seemed to me like a perfect description for what most of us have had to live in in pandemic times. For most of us, I think, pandemic forced us into this perennial waiting mode, not being able to plan, not being able to travel, or do a lot of the things that broke us out of normal patterns of living, all the things that we rely on for a reset or a wake-up call. Well, in the face of the loss of all of that, many of us fell into something that sounds and looks a lot like this languishing place, not depressed, but not thriving either, slowly sinking into the long-haul symptoms of life, life in between flourishing and its opposite. Grant says that one thing that helps us get out of this state as suboptimal as it clearly is, is simply to be able to see it and to name it. So there, you and I, 
we now have the first hand hold out. But how else to get out of it when we find ourselves in it? One thing Grant suggested was that the antidote might be in the pursuit of something that researchers have called flow. I bet you know flow, even if you haven't heard the word. Flow is what we feel in those times and places when we get lost in something. Positive psych psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi who coined the term, describes flow as a state of complete immersion in an activity. Often it happens, or most notably sometimes, in some creative act or passion or practicing of those things. Athletes often describe it when they're playing their sport, these miraculous, deeply enjoyable times when they are in it, but not thinking about it, just merged with the playing of it. And painters and musicians describe the same thing, especially in moments of creative processes. But so do people experience it when they're cooking or they're doing any craft or activity that they practice regularly and can fall into. And so too do those who regularly meditate or chant or perform Tai Chi or any number of practices, increasingly maybe, as we practice them. I fall into it sometimes when I'm studying or writing. There's something about that state of flow. If you can think about the times you fall into it, that is deeply satisfying in the deepest sense. In an interview with Wired Magazine, Csikszentmihalyi described the experience thusly, the experience thusly. He says, the ego falls away. Time flies. Every action, movement, or thought flows inevitably from the previous one like playing jazz. Your whole being is involved and you are using your skills to the utmost. One person interviewed said of flow words that sound almost religious. You forget yourself. You feel part of something larger. Trying to understand what flow is or how we get there, Csikszentmihalyi broke the experience down into 10 factors that often are present, though they don't all have to be in a single moment of flow. And they include things like Practicing you something you enjoy, like we've discussed, or often when you have set a certain goal, one that's attainable, but a stretch, a challenge. Times when somewhere in the process there is this momentary loss of self that we heard described, this self-transcending feeling, or even a merging with what you are doing, so that time does cease to register that even that you lose your embodied sense of self, lose sense of yourself as in a body. And all of this, all of this and what happens in that space feeds us. 
It's interesting to me that in a life that is flourishing, at the flourishing part of that spectrum of our health, that what ideally is happening are regular moments of this flow, this experience of deep focus, and how, by contrast, in depression, what we often experience is that it's hard to focus for periods of time, that we feel perennially distracted and fractured, and how that's also what Grant identifies is one of the things we see in languishing, this beginning of a distracted, unfocused quality to our lives. In this corner of the Northern California globe, and maybe for this era, the word focus, when it comes up for many of us, conjures up the work and the life mantras of entrepreneur Steve Jobs. It's a way of working, his way of working, that's often credited, at least in part, for his incredible success. In Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, written with cooperation by Jobs himself, Steve Jobs credits some of that focus on focus to one of the earliest partners he had in Apple, his mentor, a father figure for him, Mike Marcula. Marcula was 33 when Jobs and he met and had already cashed out of his professional life from his work with Intel and was semi-retired, but then leapt back into the fray with Jobs and Wozniak to relaunch Apple as a company. And Marcula wrote most of the initial business plan for Apple, but also, more intriguing, this one-page marketing philosophy for the company. It was a philosophy that had three points. First, that Apple would know the customer's needs, maybe even more than they knew them themselves. Third, that its packaging and marketing would speak clearly and intentionally and set the tone for the impression that Apple products would make. And in the middle was this idea of focus. Marcula impressed upon Jobs that, quote, in order to do a good job at those things we decide to do, we must eliminate all the unimportant opportunities. Jobs would step into that call to focus in ways that are now legend, cutting significant lines of research and development and even established businesses sometimes to focus on one or two models or directions. The radical simplification and seeming risk he seemed to feel more comfortable with than, with than most of throwing one's eggs into one or two baskets that had the power of turning up the heat on some teams and pulling the rug out from under others. But Jobs, he'd also do it in his personal life. Maybe he was already prone to it in a life of extreme diets and fierce meditative practices that were his. He seemed to like to focus, maybe existentially be drawn to it. And in him, we see the benefits and we see some of the fallouts of that way of being. 
Hanging, as is said, concentrates the mind. Deadlines mixed with existential fear, boy, they force hard choices. Marginalize also big parts of our life and our work. But they do also seem to make possible some level of greatness. And all of this is so obvious when we're looking at the world of business or sports or even artistic endeavors, but it's also true of the spiritual life. In autobiographies of gurus and yogis that I have read over the years, stories of the lives of people like Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, not the musician, but a famous guru in India, and Pramahansa Yogananda of the famous autobiography of a yogi. There is also a pattern for how they credit their single-minded commitment to spiritual practices of meditation or other to certain remarkable abilities that they acquired. How the focused practice provides for them mysterious access to new ways of knowing and new ways of seeing and even new ways of connecting to people or new physical abilities even. Years ago, I studied with a Reiki master who told the story of the founder of Reiki. Reiki, as many of you probably know, is, is a form of energy work where the practitioner, often holding their hands over a person's body, though it can also be done remotely, reorders energy and invites healing. And the story as I heard it was that the founder, Mikao Osui, a lay monk from Japan who discovered this power, found it as a side effect of his committed meditative and spiritual practices. He almost stumbled on the fact that he had this healing gift that had developed. And it was never his goal, and it was never supposed to be ours in our cultivation of spiritual practices. But it was this capacity that opened up when a focus on spiritual practices was maintained successfully over a lifetime. Focus here, too, apparently, can make all kinds of remarkable things possible. The reading that I opened with as our text today is also, in a way, a similar call to focus. At least that's how I hear it. That elder's advice to the child or youth where they're passing on wisdom, but a framing around it that's a reminder to keep what they hear or what's important to them right in front, as close and binding as you can. Don't let these words escape from your sight, the elder says. Keep them in your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Keep straight the path of your feet, and all your ways will then be sure. 
That passage echoes for me other texts through time, but most immediately the Buddha's advice about right action and right thought and his invitation to a lifetime of mindfulness and discipline of mind and spirit and body. And behind it all, behind that call, the wisdom and compassion and peace that he knows and invites us to invite into our own lives is possible only with that kind of focus and commitment. In these ways of action, If these ways of action are pure, the Buddha said, in words that are both challenging and an invitation, if these ways of action are pure, one can make progress on the path of the wise. The truth is we all know the power of focus. I think we know it even in the most mundane of ways. We know that our multitasking is almost always less effective in producing any remarkable results than our quiet, focused time. We know that distracted attention from a loved one is deeply less satisfying. That actually, it can even sometimes weaken our connection to another so painful and diminishing it can be to feel half-heartedly loved and seen? We know what fractured and diminished focus and attention looks like and how it feels to live that way. In fact, we have just had 18 months, I feel, of a lot more of a life prone to that. And so it does feel like maybe it's time to engineer a way out of that, if, particularly if you also feel yourself there. Even as the pandemic continues to play itself out around us. And it's also just a great time to take this spiritual project seriously, right? I mean, it's almost September. It's this time of pencil sharpeners and new notebooks and academic organizers. Those of us who were formed in a world of academic calendars, I think we'll always have branded on us a sense that this time of the year, more so than any other, maybe is the beginning of a new year. And so a great time to break free or try And maybe we begin then with the word focus. Maybe we just begin asking ourselves what is worthy of our focus that maybe has wandered out beyond our peripheral vision when we weren't paying attention. What? What calls to us for a clear and challenging goal What would the practices be that we could put in place to serve our way toward that goal? How would we carve out the time or build in some accountability? What, as Markula famously challenged his young mentees, what might we have to eliminate in order to make such focused attention and all it brings with it possible? Who might we disappoint? What habits do we have to be willing to break? And 
And will we risk eggs in fewer baskets to see where this larger goal-focused deep takes us? I won't outline all of the possibilities of what such goals might be. I just ask that you consider carving out time to undistractedly reflect, as I have been lately, on what is calling for our focused attention personally. Much that is life-giving, deeply satisfying and transforming is, after all, only possible when we focus. And the flow we can find ourselves in, in such focused work, losing ourselves in it, often lures languishing to the curb and opens the door to flourishing to come in and join us on the dance floor. What's calling for your devoted attention? May you lose yourself and find yourself there. So may it be. May the light of love shine upon us.
out from within us, be gracious unto us, and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.